0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. And we're starting this brand new series titled Empty. And if you were here last week, Clay Poor, our pastor of Spiritual Formation, he concluded the series, The Squeeze, by talking about this wall that he hit, this spiritual, emotional wall. And kind of where he left off last week really is a great, great. Uh, way to set up this entire series that we're going to be in, and so if you missed last week's message, or if you're a guest with us today, I just want to uh, encourage you to go to renaissancechurch.org, click on messages, and there you can download, uh, share, watch, listen to. We had po- podcasts available. There's notes that you can download. A ton of uh, resources uh, for you. So please uh, uh, make sure you you listen or watch his message from last week, because. As we get into this series called Empty, this is something for all of us. No matter where you find yourself spiritually, no matter what you believe, don't believe, or the question marks you have, this is kind of the essence of the journey we're all on. Well, uh, I had only been here several weeks, and uh, our very first staff meeting uh, we we held here at the Opera House. I gathered the entire staff and. Uh, It was kind of uh, that moment for me to drive some leadership stakes into the ground, where I just want to talk about leadership culture, leadership values, and what's kind of important for me. It was just kind of one of those meetings to kind of say, hey, it's a new day, this is the direction, and let's just get on the same page. And so I walked through this list of leadership values, and one of those leadership values had to do with people's cell phones. And maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you love this rule. Maybe you're the one that breaks this rule. But in meetings, just turn your cell phone off. Right? Just turn it off. Unless it's an emergency, unless you're waiting for an important phone call, I, I understand those exceptions. But other than those exceptions, if you're in a meeting, whether it's planning, brainstorming, strategy, dreaming, it doesn't matter. Just turn your phone off. Because We've all said in those meetings where all of a sudden someone grabs their phone and someone else grabs their phone and you're like, uh, hello, we're in a discussion, right? So let's block, Let's be focused. And so I kind of laid down some of those values, the cell phone being one of those values. Well, it was the, literally the week later in our kind of first official, official staff meeting where I found myself sitting there and discussion was happening. And for some reason, I didn't flip my cell phone over. It was facing up, and all of a sudden, I glanced down, and I realized I'd missed several phone calls, and then there was a text message, and the text message was from my wife, and it said 911, and I found myself having to stop the meeting and try to explain to people why I just broke the rule that I laid down the week before, but it was an emergency, but I shouldn't be looking at my phone, but I did. Well, they were very gracious in that moment, and I grabbed my phone, and I walked out of our kind of conference room, and I dialed my wife. Now, before I go into the rest of this story, it's very important for me, uh, not just kind of as the the pastor, but as a husband to clarify this point. Everything that I'm going to share from this point on, I've received full permission from my wife to share. Uh, Almost to the point where literally we sat down and said, honey, I have the perfect story to start this entire series. But I need your permission, and she said, what's the story? So I share the story with her, and she kind of stares at me. I'm like, I could go either way. I almost decided to type up a liability release form and have her sign it. Maybe I mentioned that to her, and she said, no forms required. But she gave me full permission to share the story. I call her. She answers the phone, and she's in a complete panic. She's like, honey, honey. The car has died, and me being such an in-tune husband, I say, what do you mean the car has died? She goes, it died. I'm like, but what do you mean it died? What do you mean it died? We went around and around. I'm trying to figure out what died mean, and she's like, it, it doesn't work. And so uh, I, I came with another very logical, logical question. Uh, did you run out of gas? emphatically, she's like, no, I didn't run out of gas. And me being the very emotionally in tune husband that I am, I said, are you sure the little light wasn't on? She's like, no, the light wasn't on. I didn't run out of gas. The car just died on me. I don't know what to do. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to go pick her up. So I asked, asked some follow-up questions. I said, well, wh- where are you? She goes, well, I'm on a highway. Well, can we narrow it down? She goes, I don't know. I'm like, that doesn't help me. Can you give me a landmark? Since you don't know what highway you're on, can you give me a landmark? And this is what she says. She goes, I see trees. (laughs) Wow, that's that's helpful. So at this point, she's on a highway, and she sees trees. And I'm like, I have no idea where to go find her. And in that precise moment, this is what she says. Oh, no, there's a white van pulling up behind me. I got to go. And she hangs up. You know, every horror movie that runs through your mind, right? Some guy in a white van that <laughs> pulls up. And so I try to call her back, and she doesn't answer the phone. I try to call her back. She doesn't answer the phone. I try to call her back. Now I'm in panic mode because all I could think about is some guy's abducted my wife. The police is going to call me or interview me, and they're going to ask me the questions Where, where, where was she, Mr. Truthway? On a highway? Which one? I don't know. Do you know approximately where she was on a highway? I go, well, she could see trees, right? Like this whole thing is not faring well. Well, finally, she calls me back, and I'm in full-fledged panic mode. She goes, I go, are you okay? What what, what was this white van? She goes, oh, it was fine. It's that emergency roadside service van. I'm like, well, that would have been helpful for you to let me know that. She goes, yeah, I'm fine. I go, how's the car? Because somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew the real answer. She goes, well, and there's this long pause. And then she says, promise me you won't get mad. <laughs> I go, I promise you, I, I promise. She goes, I ran out of gas. <laughs> I said, honey, do you realize that every car, if this is a free, free component of every car, comes equipped. You don't have to upgrade for this. Comes equipped with a gas gauge. And what's amazing about this gas gauge is you can watch the needle approach E. And not only do you watch the needle, there's a light that comes on to let you know you have 20, 25 miles left. She goes, yes, honey, I know that. I said, okay, I just want to make sure that you are aware of the gauge. Not my finer moment as a husband, but I didn't get mad. But right we have gauges everywhere. Our car is filled with gauges. We probably watch our gas gauge the most, but there's other gauges in the car. I don't know what they do. There's just lights and gauges, and when the light goes off, I get the manual. I'm car stupid. I get the manual, and then I just take my car in and say, hey, help me. But we have gauges. They're, they're helpful. In technology, on our smartphones, our tablets, our laptops, they have gauges, right? And those gauges usually tell us, uh, especially when it's getting full. This week, as I was thinking about this whole idea, I actually realized I hadn't checked my laptop's hard drive for probably 18 months. And I realized that I'm almost full. (laughs) I was like, i got to delete some files. It's helpful to know because usually what happens is you go to save that one important file, and that's when your hard drive fills up, whether on your phone or tablet. It's like, oh, it's too full. Our bodies are made with gauges, you know, our stomachs, they rumble when you're hungry, right? It's like, oh, that's a good gauge to say, I need to eat now, or I probably should have ate hours ago. As I thought about this entire series, Empty, I started thinking about, what if our soul had a gauge? As I listened to Clay last week talk about the wall he hit, and some of the signs as he looked back on that journey and the warning signs that were there, I just thought to myself, what if we had that gauge? For all of us, we had a gauge where so we could monitor the condition of our soul. It was C.S. Lewis that took this whole concept of a soul and just brought it down to this very uh, approachable idea. He says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. You see, our body is the container that houses who we really are, our soul. I mean, religions across the span of time, across all cultures, have tried to understand the soul, the spirit. They've tried to put this very intangible kind of idea of who we really are into very tangible, concrete uh, formats, Plato talked about the soul, and he put it into three different kind of components of your soul. He talked about the logos, or your mind, the thumos, which is your emotional kind of uh, 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 part of who you are, and then the eros, which is your desire. And he kind of framed it that way, that those are the three different components of your soul. The Bible puts it in a very tangible way because many, many times when it talks about your soul, it refers to the heart as your soul. Something that we all can kind of tangibly grasp onto as it describes this very intangible part of who we really are. When uh, Samuel went to look for the next king to lead Israel, God said to Samuel, hey, Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance or on the body, the container. That's what other people look at i look at the person's heart god was saying hey so many people pay so much attention to the container i want to look right into the person's heart who they are their soul proverbs talks about above everything else guard your heart why because out of the heart comes everything it influences everything it guides everything, so protect your heart. Jesus talked about the heart, and when you're afraid, he says, my peace will rest upon your heart. Jesus talks about the heart, and he puts our possessions, our money, our things, right interconnected to the heart. When he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jeremiah talks about the heart, and he goes, your heart is corrupt and evil. It's not curable. Man, what a taunting, but true statement. And he says that God searches the heart and the mind. He examines the heart and the mind. It was David in Psalm 51. After he committed this list of atrocities, murder and deception and adultery and misuse of his power as king. He said, oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The Bible keeps coming back and keeps coming back to the condition of our heart. So today we're going to jump into this series and we're going to actually look at this moment in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And Deuteronomy is a beautiful, beautiful book. I'm not sure if you spend any time in Deuteronomy. But uh, Deuteronomy is kind of, well it's the fifth book of the Pentateuch or the Torah. And uh, the setting is so important because Moses is writing Deuteronomy. And it's year 40 of the Israelites wandering around the desert. And so the Israelites had been wandering, and maybe you're not familiar with the story. The reason why is because God had tapped Moses on the shoulder to be uh, God's leader of God's people. And so Moses did that. He led the people out of Egypt. And then God came to Moses and said, hey Moses, the Israelites have been in captivity for over 400 years. Now it's time for them to have a permanent home. And I have the Perfect place for them, the promised land. It's amazing. And so, Moses, I want you to lead my people into the promised land. And so, Moses sent uh, 12 spies into the promised land to check it out. Ten came back and talked about how amazing the promised land was. I mean, it was beyond their comprehension, but these 10 spies said, We can't take it. The armies are too large. The soldiers are too strong, too well equipped. There's no way that. Our feeble armies can conquer the promised land. But two spies came back and said, the promised land's amazing. And yeah, the armies are big and they're well equipped and they're well trained and they're massive. But God's on our side, we can take it. And Moses listened to the ten, not the two. And Moses listened to the masses, not to God. Because of that, God sent Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. And because of that, God said to Moses, Moses, you will never see the promised land. It's a consequence to Moses listening to the loudest voices, not to God. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's towards the end of the book. And Deuteronomy, the, the literal translation of the title means the second law, and it's almost kind of a mistranslation of, Of what that whole book's about because it's really not the second volume or additional law it's really an amplification of the law already given and moses is writing this in the 40th year of them wandering around the desert and what happens is he kind of brings this whole kind of writing to a close in chapter 30 chapter 31 he grabs joshua and joshua was one of the two spies that came back and said yeah it's a perfect land and yeah the armies in that land are that strong and mighty, but yes, we can take it because God's on our side. And Moses takes Joshua and says, he will now be the leader to lead God's people into the promised land. And then Moses dies. So in chapter 30, you can tell Moses is sitting and he, he just wants to make sure people realize the plans that God has for them. He wants everyone to realize how much God loves them. He wants them to realize how much God is walking with them. He wants them to realize the guardrails that God has put into place and that they need to follow them. Moses wants to amplify everything that God laid upon his heart, that God has spoken to Moses, and Moses has taught everyone. And this is where we'll pick up. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as if he delighted in your ancestors. And you think about that. Remember, God wants to delight in you. Remember that God wants you to prosper. And I'm sure those were hard words for Moses to write because guess what? 40 years ago, he could have been in the promised land. But he relied on his own strength and his own wisdom and leaned into his own fear and listened to the masses, not to God. And so many times people think God is that person with this lightning bolt in one hand and a hammer in the other hand. He's just waiting for you to mess up, for him to pound you. And so many times God is this God of wrath and judgment, and there is that side of God. And we don't pay enough attention to the God who... Delights in his creation and the God who wants us to prosper and the God who wants to bless us and the God who wants great things for us. And then Moses writes these two words, if you. And you see, that is going to be two of the most important words, not only for this entire series, but for you when it comes to the condition of your soul, your heart. If you. If Chris Truthaway, you see, when it comes to the condition of our hearts, our soul, it's about you and God. I get, all of us come in here today and I don't know your story, but I'm sure all of us have had Christians who have hurt us, and it's tainted how you see Christ, tainted how you've seen the church, tainted how you've seen even me as a pastor. Maybe you've had a pastor that's hurt you. Maybe you've had a church that has hurt you. And please know how sorry I am for Christians, the church, to hurt people. Like it grieves me. But I also know that the church and pastors and Christians are just people. People. Who are flawed and sinful? We try to be different here at Renaissance, but I tell you this: I diligently work on not letting people down, but yet I also know my own sinfulness. And you see, when it comes down to it, it's so easy to blame everyone else for the condition of our soul. But in all reality, God's saying, "No, no, no. If you." If you, this is very personal for you, for myself, if you, he goes on, he says, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written, and then he continues in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and I love that idea of turning to God. Because that's the story of the Old Testament of the Israelites. They turn to God and they prosper and God delights in them. And then they walk their own way. And guess what? Destruction and calamity comes. It's the story of the New Testament. It's the story of all of our lives. As we turn and walk towards God, God blesses in such an incredible way. But as we turn away from God and walk away from from God, when we walk away from his plans, right? Life shifts. He goes, turn and follow God. And then he writes this. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And I love that he brings it down because this is a wise old man sitting there knowing that his days are numbered and they're coming so quickly. And he knows that his death is coming because God is saying the 40 years are about up and Moses, you're not going in the promised land. And this is a man who has lived life This is a man that has led boldly for God and has made a list of mistakes for God. This is a man who has hungered to have a close relationship with God and he fully understands how he has let God down. And he just said, guess what? This is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And he describes it in two ways. The first way was this. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us as we may obey it. He's saying it's not way up in heaven where it's with out of, outside the realm of your power to go up into heaven. So you have to sit there and just wait for someone to have the power to get to heaven. It's like, no, it's within your power. It's not way up there. It's down here. And then he says this. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. He's saying it's not outside of your reach. You can reach it. You can hold on to it. You can bring it near. It's within your grasp. And then verse 14, he goes, no, the word, the word is very near. It's in close proximity to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, those words are true for today. That God's word is so near, you can grab onto it. It's within your power, it's within your reach. I went to Bible college, I uh, got a degree in Bible college. That degree is worth about $2.35. And uh, my dad last year gave me one of his first study Bibles, this big, thick study Bible. My dad went to uh, a, a state university in Arizona, graduated with a psychology degree that he never really used, the psychology part of it. And he has spent a lifetime studying God's word. And he gave me this Bible. And I tell you, I don't think there's a page in it that's not all marked up. And my dad knows more about God's word than I do. And I have the Bible college degree. Why? Because he realized early on that God's word was within his reach. And for him to know God, he needed to know God, the God of the Bible. And he spent a lifetime studying and living out God's word as he grows closer in his relationship to God. But this week, as I kind of sat there, and especially... Spend a lot of time in verse 14. This whole idea of know the word is very near to you just kind of captivated me. This whole idea that the word is in close proximity, the word is near, the word is reachable, the word is within grasp. And then I thought about John chapter 1. John was writing this biography about who Jesus Christ was in his ministry and John Started out this entire book by writing these words. In the beginning was the word. Okay? And, and notice this progression. In the beginning was the word. And think back to Genesis 1.1. That starts off by saying in the beginning, right? So in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. So we have God and we have the word. And they're together. They're linked. They're connected, right? The word was with God. And the word was God, okay, so the word was with God, but the word was God. So they're, they're one, but they're connected. You feel that? He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then a few verses down, John writes this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word is Jesus Christ and I wonder some 1500 years before John's writing these words in uh, the gospel of John I wonder as God's speaking into Moses's heart the words that Moses is writing down this amplification of God's law in Deuteronomy and when Moses wrote the words oh no no the the word is near. I wonder if God was smiling and saying, Moses, you have no clue how near the word's going to be. Oh, Moses, you have no idea how reachable the word's going to be. Oh, Moses, you have no idea. The power of the word, when God the Son comes down and becomes flesh. Now that's reachable. That's tangible. But there's a warning that Moses gives in verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Right? There there it it is, the warning. Hey, there's two pathways. One leads to life. One leads to death. One leads to life, one leads to death. And you go back into the New Testament and there's this moment where Jesus is teaching and he talks about the narrow road and the wide road, the narrow gate and the wide gate. And Jesus says, hey, the narrow road leads to life and the wide road leads to death and destruction. The narrow road, only a few find it. Why only the few? It's not because God doesn't want the everyone on that road. God understands. If you. If you. The road is for everyone. But guess what? He's left it up to you. If if you. One leads to life. One leads to death choice it's a decision well then i came to verse 16 and something happened in verse 16 as i read 16 through the end of this chapter which i got to verse 20 and i noticed that there was these similarities but differences between uh, verse 16 and uh, 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 verse 20 and i realized like they were the same but they felt so remarkably different, but they were saying the same thing in a way, but yet they were different. So let me read through both of them and I'll take you through my, my thought process. Verse 16 said this, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. So that's how he, he framed this thought in verse 16. But then in verse 20, he wrote it, wrote it kind of this way, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, And hold fast to him. So as I paused there, going back and forth between 16 and 20, 16 and 20, I grabbed a piece of paper and I started to make two lists. And this is what it kind of looked like. I wrote down this word command that you find in verse 16. But in verse 20, he says that you may. And it felt like to me this invitation, which is completely a different feeling than I command you, right? This command is a stake that you put in the ground and it doesn't move. You will do this. You will follow this. You will. But when he wrote in verse 20, you may, it just felt like this, hey, there's this invitation. And those two words man, make these lists feel completely different. Especially when you get to what he said in both of them. He said, love God. Right? I mean, if you walked up to someone, your spouse, someone you're dating, one of your kids, and just looked them in the eyes and said, you will love me. I mean, try it. It might be hilarious. But, right, that just just, just feels so wrong, right? Like, you you don't want to command someone to love you. You want to develop a relationship where they want to love you, where you love them, and, and, and they reciprocate it by loving you back. And they love you, and you want to reciprocate it and love you back. There's this big difference between commanding someone to love you and inviting them to love you. Well, the next thing on the list was this walk in obedience. Which there's a difference of walking in obedience of God saying, hey, obey me. God's saying, follow me. God's saying, here are the laws, here are my commands, you will. Because that was the last one on the on the list. He said, here are my laws, commands, and decrees. But then he said, hold fast. And I looked at these last two, the obedience and laws, the listen and the hold fast. And as I started thinking about listening, where, where you could just follow God's uh, laws, you could just Obey God and says, okay, God said to do this, I will do this. God said for me to follow these laws and commands, so I will. Because God said it, I will obey. And God's okay with you living in this column. But Moses ends saying, listen to God. And think about the difference between listening and just obeying. When you listen, you lean into that person. And when you listen, you want to know why. And as you discover that person's heart, you understand that they want the best for you. Now you follow. Why? Not just because they say it, but you know they want the best for you. Now, I remember the shift. And I don't remember the day and time. But I remember this shift for me where I would just obey mom and dad. You know, dad said, do this. I said, okay, until he wasn't watching. He said, don't do this. I, I followed. And all of a sudden, something shifted where I realized my dad was wise and I wanted to listen to him. And I realized my dad truly wanted the best for me. And so when he put guardrails up as a parent, I realized those were there to protect me. Why? Because he loved me. And when I, as a child, started listening to my dad, obeying became easy. You see, that's what God wants from you. This word uh, in the Hebrew, hold fast, Literally means to cleave, like a small child to a parent. Where you hold on, and as you hold on, you realize there's safety and security. When you hold on, you realize there's power. When you hold on, you realize. And you look at these two lists. And Moses is like, you can live here. Follow God's commands. You love God because he's God. And you obey him because he's God. And you follow his laws and decrees and commands. There you go. If you want to live there, that's fine. And for some of you, that's where you are right now. For some of you, you're sitting in church today because you felt so guilty by something you've done this week. And you're like, I got to go to church so God loves me again. Or likes me again. Or forgives me again. Right? You're sitting here today just because you're like, ah, if I check the church box. And it's okay. Maybe that's where you find yourself spiritually. You know where God wants you to be? Here. God's fine. He's fine. If you want want to see him that way, he's fine. Love him, obey him, follow his laws. There's your boxes. God would rather you be right here. Where you don't look at, at God as this book of of rules and do's and don'ts where you lean into god where you listen to god where you cleave to god and realize that his laws are there not as do's and don'ts but because he knows you the best he created you he knows your heart he knows your soul you're made in his image and when you listen to god and when you hold on to god guess what? You start to understand God's heartbeat, and why his laws, and why he calls you to obey, and why he sets up guardrails for you, and why it's there in the first place, because he knows you, and he wants the best for you, and he wants you to prosper, and he wants to delight with you, and he wants to bless you. Maybe for some of you, you need to start seeing God less like this and more like this. I shared with you John chapter 1, 1 through 3. And uh, as John is writing these opening words to this biography about Jesus' life and talking about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Guess what? He then writes these words. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. You see, I thought about what was the difference between uh, verse 16 and verse 20 in Deuteronomy. Why the shift? Well, in verse 19 of Deuteronomy, this is what Moses writes. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life. And parents, grab onto this. So that you and your children may live. Choose life. Choose life. If you, if you choose life. You see, Jesus came. The word became flesh. Why? Why? So that the everyone could have life not death and destruction but life god became flesh so it'd be within our reach it would be within our grasp so that everyone everyone would have a choice because Jesus is the way to the Heavenly Father. Right now, I'm not sure where you are spiritually. For some of you you're, you, you're literally not sure if there's a God or not. Maybe for you, you're just struggling through, you know, how much of the Bible is real and not real, and you have questions all around the Bible. Maybe for you, you're not sure about Jesus. You have questions about who Jesus Christ was and is. I want you to know, God's very comfortable with your questions. God just wants to be in this journey with you. God's okay with with the the doubts that you have, the struggles you have, with you just questioning. He's He's very comfortable with that. And maybe for you, you just need to continue to go on that journey, but make sure God's journeying with you on that. For you, maybe you're at that point where you've never taken the step to invite Christ into your heart. We, we, we talk here at Renaissance about turning and trusting in Jesus Christ. Because he's a connection between you and God the Father. It's Jesus Christ and what he came and what he did and his death and him conquering, uh, conquering the cross and the grave. It was the last sacrifice for all people. He's the bridge to God the Father. And all you have to do is turn and trust in Him. And maybe here in, the, in your seat today, you just have a conversation where you invite Christ, where you name Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's all you have to do. He's done everything. Maybe for you spiritually, you find that your soul meter is approaching E, or maybe the light is on, or maybe you're on fumes. Invite God in. Maybe you've turned and walked away. Invite him in. Maybe you need to love God deeper. Maybe you need to listen to God more. And maybe you need to cleave, hold fast unto God. But remember, if you, if you,